Welcome to the Rent to Rent Success Podcast, the only podcast entirely dedicated to helping you achieve rent to rent success. We talk about the ethical way to get you started in property without buying it. This is our place to inspire each other to believe bigger, to be bolder, and to be game changers for good. Property investors and sisters Stephanie and Nikki Taylor are your guides on this exciting ride. Let's start up the engines and get ready to fly. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. It's Stephanie here and welcome to episode 68 of Ask the Angels where we answer your rent to rent questions. And today I'm going to be answering a question about the renters reform bill and how it's going to affect rent to rent. It's the biggest changes in the private rented sector in the last 30 years. So this one is worth listening to. Now, if you would like to ask your question, Go to renttorentsuccess.com slash ask, A-S-K, and record it there for me to answer here. So today I have a question from Eileen, and Eileen's question is, have you read the Renters Reform Bill published on the 16th of June? What will it mean for rent to renters? Great question, because it means quite a lot. I'm going to dive into it. It's a long document. I've gone over it. And here is the lowdown from a rent-to-rent perspective. So what is the Renters' Reform Bill? The bill is part of the government's latest white paper called A Fairer Private Rented Sector. And the government describe it as delivering a fairer, more secure and higher quality private rented sector. It's the biggest changes for the PRS, the private rented sector, in the last 30 years. Now, it was originally proposed way back in 2019. So it's been long awaited because what was said in those original proposals was that it was going to un that was going to end, excuse me, I can't get my words out today. It was going to end the unfair situation, in quote marks, where renters can be evicted for no reason, and that it was also going to tackle, and I quote, unfair rent increases. So we've all been keen to see what it is. And I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to talk about the impact on the bill on us as rent renters. But do remember, none of this is law yet. This is what's proposed, and it may or may not be actually introduced um, in this way. But let's have the heads up uh, so that we know what's coming or what could be coming. And the government says that at least six months' notice of any changes will be given, and also that it's going to be introduced in two stages. So we will be given notice for any changes and we'll see eventually uh, what actually goes into what actually goes into the legislation. But what what's in the bill so far is change to tenancies. This is the first one. This is a biggie. So at the moment, we've got a six month minimum AST. That's assured shorthold tenancy agreement with tenants. So tenants commit to six months. We give them six months and they give us six months. And that's all set to change. Now, under the new legislation, when it comes, tenants would only need to commit for two months, and then it would be periodic tenancy. 
So a tenant could move in and the next day give notice and then just stay for two months. As a landlord, though, we wouldn't be able to ask our tenants to leave in the first six months. So that would stay as it is now for us. But for our tenants, they could give their notice earlier. And landlords can only evict for certain reasons. So that's changing. Uh, The section 21 is changing. Uh, And as I say, they can't evict within the first six months of their tenancy. So the new changes to the eviction I'm going to come on to next. But I just want to talk about what each thing that I talk about, I'm going to talk about what's the impact. So that first one, change to the tenancy agreements. We're moving from a six-month where the tenant will have to commit for six months. Now the tenants only need to commit for two months. They need to give two months notice. And the impact for rent to rent, I actually don't think this is very different. Here's why, because although on paper, tenants commit for six months and we commit for six months, right? In practice, what happens is slightly different. So if a tenant came to us and said after, you know, after a month, oh, I need to move out, I'm moving to Timbuktu, um, or we've had my grand's died, my dad's died, or obviously in coronavirus, lots of people were moving home. So if a tenant comes up to us and says, I'm giving my notice early, I need to move out, and it's within that first six months period. How we work is we ask them to pay the rent until we find a new tenant. And usually that's within the month, within a month of when they're moving. Sometimes they're moving immediately on that day. And we always know that we can easily find tenants who can move in within a month, you know, allowing for them to give notice as well. So that would be the same for us, the practical experience of how we run it. I don't think we'd get very far in court trying to force a tenant to continue paying rent on a six-month tenancy for a property they no longer live in and when we've got a new tenant in situation. So that's not how we do it. We only claim one rent uh, from one person for a room. So the fact that tenants no longer, in, in our book, in practice, they were not committed for six months. Because we were not asking, when they came to us to say, I'd like to move out after two months or three months or four months, our process was the process I've just described, where they would pay the rent until the new tenant came into situation, which would be at most a a month from when they're telling us. Okay, so... At the moment, we are committed from for six months as landlords or as letting agents, as rent-to-rent businesses. We're committed to the tenant for six months. No change there. I don't think that makes any difference to us in the practice of how we run our businesses. I think it's fair to offer people six months when they move in somewhere and not, you know, be putting them out after or asking them to leave after two months unless they do something wrong. And we're going to come into that when I talk about evictions, uh, which is the next part that I'm going to talk about to you now. So where I do think there could be an impact is for people who are doing rent-to-rent service accommodation with contractors and other people who are staying anywhere for more than two months, they might be more likely to move over to, um, to rent by the month rather than rent by the night. So they might be more likely to come to us as a house share or a single let rather than rent a flat or a house on a service accommodation basis, which is per night, because the price is so much 
lower on a nightly rent than it is on the monthly rent. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But as I say, not too much impact there in terms of the practical way that we run our business. It's no different from from a rent to rent HMO perspectives. But a much needed change is happening in evictions that is really going to help us. So let's talk about that because evictions. There's been much hoo-ha and concern about the end of Section 21. Now, Section 21 is what they're calling a no-fault eviction, or what the government call it, they, they call it the unfair situation where renters can be evicted for no reason. Now, the reality is renters aren't typically evicted for no reason. I mean, we're in the business of property and we want good tenants who pay their rent. So good tenants who pay the rent, we're not going to be evicting them. But what happens is the Section 21 process for eviction is the most streamlined eviction process that we currently have. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. So while landlords mainly choose the Section 21 or no-fault eviction, they are often evicting people due to non-payment of rent, antisocial behavior, or needing the property back. Right. So I'm saying that while it may look to the government that there are lots of Section 21s being used on a no-fault basis, because that process is so much simpler than the Section 8 fault evictions, Many times there are people at fault there who are being um, evicted on a no-fault basis. So um, this is because, as I alluded to, the process to evict a tenant for a reason, so what what I mean by reason is non-payment of rent, damage, antisocial behaviour is lengthy and it's less certain. Therefore, most landlords choose not to use it. If they've got the option to use the Section 21, that's what they'll use. So this, the, the change that the government's now proposing is removing Section 21, but having a faster and more effective alternative to the Section 8 process. So what this will mean if it's uh, implemented in the way that seems to be suggested is that when you want to evict someone because they're not paying their rent or their antisocial behavior or you need the property back, the eviction is going to be faster. And there's going to be mandatory grants for eviction, and uh, I just listed some of them there, landlords who want to sell their property and or move themselves or their family back into their property, antisocial behavior, non-payment of rent. And the other good thing about this is that the grounds for evicting tenants who don't pay their rent have been beefed up. So um, it used to be that, or it, 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 excuse me, it is currently that if you have more than two months rent arrears um, on the day of the court hearing, or if you bring it down to under two months rent arrears on the day of the court hearing, they, the person can't be evicted. So what tenants sometimes do who, who want to play the system is let arrears stack up, stack up, stack up, and then bring the arrears down to under two months rent for the date of the hearing. And the case is thrown out. So the new grounds for mandatory, excuse me, mandatory eviction are at least two months rent arrears three times in the previous three years. And what the government's also promised is a 
is a speedier court system for these processes. So that all sounds very positive and it'll be interesting to see if it is implemented in that way. So the impact on rent to rent, we're going to have new process to evict for non-payment antisocial behavior and getting the property back. These are all the reasons that we'd actually want to evict. And these processes will be faster and more efficient. Inficient. So in theory, it looks good. Let's see if it's what's proposed here. It's actually going to make things easier for us. So I'm confused when people are bemoaning the fact that Section 21s are going because in actual fact, the reasons that we want to evict people um, are the reasons that are allowed under the new mandatory eviction process that has been um, proposed. So it'll be interesting to see. Um how that comes out, but from what's been proposed, it looks good. The next thing that's mentioned in the rent reform bill is rent increases. And there are new rules on rent increases. You may remember that rent controls have been proposed by Labour in the past. And this report states that the government does not support rent controls as history suggests it would discourage investment in the sector and lead to declining property standards as a result. And that would not help landlords or tenants. Totally agree with that. So what what they're saying is that rents can be increased once per year with two months notice to the tenant. So what this will end is the use of rent review clauses in ASTs. So you may have had a clause in an AST saying the rent's going to go up 5% a year. Or I don't know, I can't imagine anybody saying the rent's going to go up a certain amount, you know, more than once a year. But anyway, that will no longer be possible uh, under the new proposals. And if a tenant pays for six months rent in advance and then gives one month's notice and moves out after three months, the landlord will be required to return the unused portion of the rent. So in this case, it would return three months rent. And the government may also put a limit on the amount of rent that can be requested in advance. So what's the impact of this new proposal? Now, I think it's not very much again, because I can't recall ever having increased rent to an individual tenants more than once in a year. I can't see why you would need to do that. The new uh, law gives clarity and flexibility. You know, you can put the rent up once per year, you give the tenant two months notice. And the other advantage we have with managing HMOs is that HMO tenancies tend to be shorter than single let tenancies. And you can now, and you can always increase the rent when re-advertising a room without you know, you don't need to give any notice, no one to give notice to. So when you're re-advertising a room, you can put the rent up and you can also put the rent up to tenants uh, once per year with two months notice. I've got no qualms with that one. It seems reasonable to me. The next up is new ombudsman scheme for landlords. This bill will introduce a government-approved ombudsman scheme covering all private landlords in Wales sorry all private landlords in England in Wales we already have an equivalent scheme and it's called rent smart Wales 
So the new ombudsman will provide a service to deal with complaints and it'll do other things as well, other ombudsman things, um, say what standards are and things like that. So the impact for rent to rent, we already join a redress scheme uh, as a business. So this would only affect you if you also own your own properties, which you rent out. And if it's like the Welsh version, you you know, they're, they're saying that you need a, at the moment, you need an ombudsman scheme for your business. It's the PRS. And what they're saying is also for private landlords, there's going to be an ombudsman scheme. So if you own your own properties, which you rent out, you'll need to come into it. If it's like the Welsh version, you pay a fee and you take a short online test. It's not onerous. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But it'll just mean that all private landlords will be registered. So it doesn't apply to rent-to-rent businesses where we're in management and we're already part of a government ombudsman scheme. Next up, there's going to be a digital property portal for landlords and tenants. So this will be a place to keep all the property compliance information, gas certs and so on. And it'd be a place where the government let landlords know what compliance they need. And this is interesting. It, they're also talking about including a database of landlords with landlord offences, and that will be public. So if people have been prosecuted for landlord offences, um, you know, illegal HMOs or whatever, um, not having the right, uh, I don't know, if they've been prosecuted anyway, a bad guilty, they would be on this database of rogue landlords, if you like. I wish they'd have one for rogue tenants, but that's what it's looking like. So the impact is minimal here. We already have all the certs and everything, and we upload them into our property management app. So it sounds like we'd also need to upload them to this portal as well. But, you know, like any of these things, they can take a long time to implement. It's not going to be next week. Let's see if it actually comes to fruition. The next item is, in the reform bill, is outlaw they're going to outlaw blanket bans to renting to families with children and people on benefits and what the government says here is that they're going to be working with the insurance industry to address i love how they use this word to address the misconception that it's difficult to arrange insurance when tenants are in receipt of benefit even though some insurance do say they they don't insure if uh, if tenants are in receipt of benefit but Who knows, the government's going to do something about that, they say. And they're also looking at ways to improve support to tenants who are unable to manage their rent payments by arranging direct payment. I think what the government needs to do is to look at what local authorities do, because private landlords did used to, on a much more regular basis, rent to people on benefits. But the local authorities made it so difficult to evict those people if they weren't paying their rent. Um, that uh, private landlords don't tend to do that now because it's too risky. So I think the government needs to address that. So the impact, well, there's not a lot of impact here either because currently you, can, you can't put no DSS on ads. You can't advertise um, that you're not uh, accepting people on benefits. So it's still the same. You'd still assess the applicants and choose the tenants who best fit you. And I think the families part doesn't come into HMOs. And I hope that that's going to be specifically called out in the regi- in the legislation. We do get requests from, for example, dads 
it, it, well, it has been our experience that it's only been dads who have their children every other weekend or whatever, can their children visit them there? And we say that that's fine, but we wouldn't ask, you know, have a child move in on as part of that tenancy as an HMO. And I, I, I do hope that they're going to talk about that in the legislation. We don't think they're suitable for families. Next up, can't unreasonably withhold permission for pets. So it'll be interesting to see how they define unreasonably withhold. I think in single lets, that's going to be more of an issue. Um, it says that the tenants have to take out pet insurance to cover any damage. What used to happen is that tenants will be asked for a higher deposit, but now there's a cap on how much deposit you can how much deposit you can request. So the impact, again, I'm guessing that HMOs will be exempt because a lot of people are allergic to pets. So it'd be interesting to see how this one unfolds. Um, but I don't think it would I don't think it would be applicable. So in summary, let me just give you a reminder of the main changes. So there's going to be a change to the tenancy. So we're going from the six-month AST to the two-month periodic tenancy. Tenants need to give two months notice. Evictions. We're going to see the end of the Section 21 no-fault eviction, and we're going to have a new faster process for mandatory evictions for non-payment, antisocial behavior, and getting your property back if you want to sell it or live in it. So Next up, we've got rent increases. They can only be done once annually and with two months notice. Then we're going to have a new ombudsman scheme for landlords. We're going to have the digital property portal for landlords and tenants. And there's going to be an outlaw on blanket bans to renting to families with children and people on benefits. And finally, you can't reasonably, unreasonably withhold permission for pets. So, that's a big one. But as you can see, it's not a huge amount of difference, really. And in the practical way that we run our business, this won't make a lot of difference. Now, I know a lot of people are asking about the reform bill. It hasn't had a lot of press, has it? But there's a lot in there and it's good for people to know. So if you know someone who needs this answer, share this episode with them, send them the link to the podcast and share the love. It's at rent to rent success.com slash ATA68 for Ask the Angels 68. And remember, guys, this is not the law. It may change. As I say, I think the changes are not hugely different from the current, current situation in practice. And I'm just reminded that every circumstance in the last six years. People have said, now is not the right time for rent to rent. Rent to rent doesn't work anymore. And the truth is, people are always looking for HMO management. And you can be making money every single month. All the while, people are telling you it's not possible. Because I love that people tell me it's not possible. We're making money in our business every single month while people are saying it's not possible. And you could be there too. When new legislation comes up like this, some people see reasons to fail. Other people see opportunities. Opportunity to give value, opportunity to make money, opportunity to live a different life. I think many of us don't want to rely on the nine to five exclusively anymore. 
We want to also generate our own income. This is open to you. If you want to take that first step, we've got the free Rent to Rent Success Guide and Masterclass. It's at renttorentsuccess.com slash guides, G-U-I-D-E. And finally, I want to let you know, I am on TikTok. Yeah, we started TikToking last week. And uh, if you want to connect with us on the TikTok and see what we're doing over there, if you're on TikTok, we are at renttorentsuccess.com. No, sorry, we're Rent to Rent Success. We're at Rent to Rent Success on TikTok. We're at Rent to Rent Success on Insta. So connect, message, comment, like, follow, and all that jazz. And I'd love to hear from you when you message me. So uh, that's it for now. Have an amazing week. Enjoy the sunshine. And I'll see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you so much for being with me here today. If you would like more, we've written the number one best-selling book on Rent to Rent. You can find it at renttorentsuccess.com slash book. Reviewers on Amazon have described it as the best Rent to Rent HMO book and also as a definitive reference guide and inspirational. Take your next step today and buy the book. You can find it at rent2rentsuccess.com slash book. And I'll see you again next time. Until then, remember, believe bigger, be bolder, be a game changer.